0: Greetings this Lord's day in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus made himself of no reputation that he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It was a long way down to the stable of Bethlehem from where Christ came from. Can we say amen? Amen. Not so much in the distance really but the position On the way to heaven, God sends us lower too. Christ calls us to be planted like seeds in the death of our flesh so that we might grow into the trees of righteousness. Our journey up like the man Jesus starts off when we are willing to die to who we think we are and who we hope to be and find the new life that Christ has for us. Amen? Amen? Psalm 113 says it this way, Praise ye the Lord. O oh, you servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun and the going down to the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the dunghill. That he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you for what you do. Lord, you take us out of the ash heap and you seat us in heavenly places. According to your word, you became poor that we might become rich. Lord, may we be those who follow you in this way, not just follow you in the sense that we live in a good moral way, Lord, but may we follow you in dying. May we follow you in dying to what we want and and what we think and arising to walk in the newness of life of being what you have called us to be. Lord, we come to you today asking for forgiveness of sins, knowing that you can forgive us. We come listening for your voice, hoping to hear it, that we might be changed. And we come hungry today. Feed us, Lord, from heaven. Change us and leave us different when we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Standing for just a few more minutes here as I read to you my text from the Gospel of John, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. My sermon today is called Feet First. Everybody say Feet First. We're going to, this passage that we're going to read is uh, 1 through 5 of John chapter 13. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God. He got up from supper, he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Let us pray. Lord, we long to hear your voice today, and I pray that we will speak to us, Lord, that we might learn from you. Lord, this act that you did on this very particular and important day in your life, in the flesh, here on earth, may it be a great lesson to all of us today as we live the rest of our lives, here, in the flesh. In Christ's name, we pray, you may be seated. Now, to me, John 13, verses 3 to 5, is one of the most powerful set of connection scriptures in the entire Bible. Now, I've I've never heard anyone else use this term, connection scripture, so I guess maybe I made it up. Uh, But it's when God connects one thing to another thing that seems to be not really connected. Okay? So there are these moments in scripture and i think this is one of the most powerful it uh... there, there are two dots here and if you were drawing you wouldn't go from here to here it kind of takes a zag and you go what did he just do at least that's the way it is for me okay? so let's look at these two things by themselves okay, and then we'll put them together and if you start in verse four and five and we, we kind of go backwards, all right? Let's look at them, all right? Jesus gets up from supper, and the way that they were, the way their clothing were, was in, in those days, they had, uh, they had undergarments that they wore that were really kind of wear-around-the-house kind of garments, and then they had outer garments that they wore like when they were being more formal, okay? Not undergarments like we wear, okay? They, they, they had like two sets of clothes Uh, and that they wore. Uh, You might remember David dancing in a linen ephod. He wasn't dancing with no clothes on. He was dancing with not formal attire. Does that make sense? So Jesus, when uh, it says here, when he got up from supper, he takes off his outer garment, okay? And he lays it aside. And he goes and he gets a towel, and I'm doing this the way we would do it in our culture, not his, okay? Okay. He puts a towel on, okay, and he goes and he gets a pitcher, and they were very familiar with what this is. And he began to pour water in the pitcher. He began to pour water in the basin, and the disciples that were gathered around there, he began to wash their feet. Now, I had thought about actually sort of doing this, but I, there will be so many giggles that we go on, and you'll be looking at people's faces and you get distracted. All right, so we're not we're not going to do it. Alright. But Jesus took the towel. This is what he did. Now, it says that as he began to wash the disciples' feet and washed the towel that he was girded with. Alright. Now, this is a beautiful scene of tenderness and love all by itself. Now, guys kind of picture this and Steve's with us today. You're kind of a big burly man with a beard. You know, you're like me, you probably get a few little barbecue sauce, you know, in your in your beard, you know. So, I do, at least I know I do. So, uh, you, you men have come over to my house. We've been eating, we've been fellowshipping together, right? Can you picture this? Not that it happens too often, Jason, but wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great? And uh, we're talking, we're laughing. You know, we're, we got, our hands are still a little bit sticky. We've been eating some barbecue, you know, maybe we're watching the fight, I don't know. And uh, I get up from the table and I put on, I put a towel over my shoulder and I start kind of helping you get cleaned up. I think some of you would kind of go, wow, this is kind of odd. I, I don't know, how many of you have been on an international flight? A few of you have, right? In the middle of the night after flying all night, they generally come and they have these hot rolled up washcloths that they have soaked in water and then like microwaved or something and they're hot and they hand them to you and they just about burn you and and then, but, but they really are nice. And you, you like kind of take a hand bath and a face bath and you sort of get woke up because it's going to be morning wherever in the world you're about to be, okay? It's kind of a neat thing. And I've done this a lot, obviously, because I fly around the world. But it's a neat and refreshing thing. So picture this sort of happening. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, you, it's kind of uncomfortable. Feel like oh, maybe there's sticky stuff on me, and maybe on my face and on my hands or whatever. There's something refreshing about sort of getting cleaned up. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? So, this would be something that would be sort of very humbling and very intimate. You know, I know that I always feel a little bit funny when those stewardesses kind of hand it to me. You know, and and you know, oh, God, would you like to wash? You know, and I'm like, okay, just give me a little space here. You know, and just sort of back up. You know, uh, but you know, if I, Derek, if I was doing that, and if I was like, I was like, you know, Derek, you know, your hands are your hands are really dirty. Can I, can I can you have any? and I, and I just start. I mean, it, would be, it wouldn't be too weird. We know each other. I don't think Derek's thinking I'm, you know, dying in or something. But, but you know, I'm saying, like in a manly kind of a way. And we were just sort of talking. I think that something in their mind just kind of be like, what is he doing? Like, this is odd, but I think he's trying to be nice. And there's something going on. It would definitely stick in your mind if that ever happened to my house, right? All right. What Jesus was doing was, it was strange to them. Now, they were, they were accustomed to foot washing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it was really strange to them that he would do that, just like it would be strange if I did that to you. You would kind of be like, that's kind of weird. Like, I understand when the stewardess does it on the airplane, okay? I understand when they hand me, a, you know, when my, when whatever. But, like, it's kind of odd. He's helping me clean up. Wow, you know? But in the end, what I would think hopefully would come in your mind is you're like that was really kind of strange, but it was really kind of nice, and it was really kind of different. But what if I was doing it, and then I did what Jesus does next, which is what will happen. Sometimes an illustration is more powerful than anything you can ever say to anybody. Okay? Now, let's go backwards and read verse 3, and see how strange these two things are together. Now, When you get to verse 3, Jesus, all right, knowing that the Father had given all things, everybody say all things, all all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. And if you back up really to verse 1, it's even more, right, in the text. Let me me go back and read the text for you again here. It says in verse 1, Before the Feast of Passover, Jesus knew His hour was come. Everybody see, the hour was come. That He should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them to the end. The supper was ended, Jesus knowing the Father had given Him all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God, and He was going back to God. I mean, what a moment. You know? The way that that I saw it was like this. It's a pivotal moment in his life and in all of human history. This moment was 4,000 years in the making. It was 33 and a half years in the making of the life of this man. And it was three and a half years in the making of this group of men. This was a moment that all of history had sort of led up to. It was... Like the quiet moments at the top of a snowy mountain for an Olympic athlete that they share in the seconds before they make a downhill run. You know, Andy, when I, whenever I watch the Olympics, I always think they've been preparing for this for years. Like, could you imagine what goes through their minds? They have gone downhill after hill after hill and practiced and exercised and fought and trained and the, here it is the whole world is watching and it's right now is it i mean can you imagine what that's like in your mind like like this might be the last time i ever do it am i gonna win did i did i prepare enough like all of that is in their mind you know and, and of course that's just an olympian but jesus was at a pivotal moment like this this was the hour had come All things were in his hand. He was about ready to die. He was at this pivotal moment in time. Everything depends on what happens next. The skier looks down the mountain. He breathes in the cold air. He flexes his muscle and in readiness, boom, he's he's gone down the hill to his destiny. You see, the word of God that was God had come from outside creation into creation to save it from sin and death. The world had grown in pains under the reign of sin and death and Satan longing for redemption. And now redemption himself had come. He had come as a baby and he needed time to grow into a full-grown redeemer. He had begun his ministry in the temple, spent three and a half years teaching, healing, casting out devils, enduring temptation, forging friendships, and making disciples. He was done with all that now. He was ready and they were ready. He stood at the top of the mountain of God of the last three days or last little bit of time of his life. Actually, the last day of his life. He's looking down at the final moments where he's going to make his run that he's prepared for his whole life. He knew at that moment that the Father had given all things into his hands. As the prophecy had foretold in Genesis 3 one would come to crush the head of the serpent and he knew that was going to be him and he knew it was time to do it he had come forth from God and he was getting ready to go back can you see the pivotal moment Steve this is huge he knew that what he was about to do was going to be the last thing he did That kind of adds emphasis to it, right? I mean, imagine, somebody knows they're about ready to die, and they're going to do one more thing right then. It's going to be important? Everybody say, "It's it's going to be really important. Jesus would pass alone through the valley, not merely of the shadow of death, but of death itself. It was time to start his descent down the mountain course of suffering, humiliation, death, all the way down to hell down into the lower parts of the earth through the grave and rest the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan himself. This was the moment Jesus and His followers were standing in together. Only Jesus understood it for what it was. But there He was. And in that moment, He takes off His jacket and grabs a towel. Now folks, if when you you read the story, something doesn't happen in your mind and go... That sounds like the, that sounds not like where the story is supposed to go. If this was a movie moment, his hour had come, the moment of truth had come. This is when, you know, choirs would sing and things would happen. But no, he takes, he, he goes lower. He's there with them as an equal, as, you know, a peer. They're just laying around together around the table. They're eating. They spent some time. There's this friendship thing. And so what does he do? He takes and he disrobes. What superiority or equalness that he has, even with these men as men, he takes it off and he dresses in the dress of a servant right in front of them. And then he gets down on the ground before them and begins to do what peers do not do for each other in Christ's day. Only slaves, only servants ever do. Folks, this is big time. This is huge. Sometimes when we hear the story, it's like a storybook or it's like, you know, one of these cartoons or it's like whatever. Folks, if you think about this, this is enormously significant that Jesus would go on his moments before he's going to be taken and going to be killed. He would disrobe into the garb of a servant and get down and begin to do what only servants do. Let me read it together for you. But before we do, let me give you a little context from Luke 22. Luke 22 tells the same story, you know, doesn't tell the exact same parts, but it, it does tell us something that John doesn't tell us. On the first day of the feast of Passover, Jesus sent Peter and John to Jerusalem, telling them to go ahead to make preparations for the place they would eat their Passover meal. Remember this? They would be called to a place, the upper room, where Jesus and his disciples would eat their last supper. He told them after they had entered the city, soon after, they would see a man carrying, of all things, a pitcher of water. I think that's significant. The man they will see will be carrying a pitcher of water. And they will follow the man with the pitcher of water to whatever house he goes in, and they will say, the master you know, wants to use this place, and they'll say, That's fine. He can use it. That's what happens to them. You can read about it in Luke 22. Whatever house he goes into, ask him. if They use it for the Passover. That's what they did. Then, in Luke 22, there's something else that John doesn't tell us. After they eat their meal, after Jesus even tells them there's going to be a betrayer in their midst, they begin having a discussion among themselves. They begin to see, they begin to understand that they are with the Messiah. He's somebody. He's well. They didn't understand the way he was going to be a Messiah, but here they were, and they begin to say, uh, "When the Messiah comes in his kingdom, do you think you'll be the, like you'll be greater than me, or do you think maybe I'll be greater than you?" And someone like, "You know what? I I think I think I'm going to be greater than you, or no, you know I think Jeff's going to be greater." You know, and they get in this discussion. Could you imagine being Jesus sitting down? At the meal, at the Last Supper, he's got in his mind, and and he's, and all of a sudden this discussion is going on. Who do you think is going to be the greatest? I think Jesus is probably going to himself. Now, he's God, and, and and I'm not trying to put limitations on him. Of you know, but he's probably thinking, have these guys did they learn anything? Like here we are. I've just taught them for three and a half years. I just showed them. I just loved them. I just did all this stuff. And right now, they're going to fight over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. These guys, are they ever going to learn? You ever, you ever think this about your kids? Like, you raise them, you know, they're, they're 13 years old, they're 14 years old, and you're going, what did you just do? Like, did, how, what's going to happen when you get married? Do you ever say this? Are your kids old enough, Andy, to where you do this? Of course, Corinne and Hannah, they never probably do anything wrong, right? But, but sometimes your dad's going... What on earth's going to happen when they have their own home? Is anyone ever going to take the trash out? Like, what is wrong with these people? You know? Not that I've never, I haven't had these thoughts. Anyway, so I'll just read it in the order that it happens and see if it hits you like it hit me again, okay? Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hours come, or I say his hours come. His hours come that he should depart from the world of the Father, having loved his own that were in the world. He loved them unto the end. I love that little addendum that John puts in there. He loved them to the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas to betray him. We had a whole sermon, obviously, about Judas last week. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He had come forth from God and was going back to God. He got up from supper. He laid aside his garments and he got a towel. He girded himself, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, which he was girded. Come on, Steve. Just where could this story be going now? My problem with a lot of these things is there's so much there. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from the world, at that moment, that penultimate moment in time, he gets up, he does this. Now, first of all, as I was telling you before, the whole thing is strange to us. How many people here, and I'm not talking about at a special service of, of something, how many people in your regular life wash anybody's feet unless you're a mother? Anybody? It's not really part of our life, right? When you get to work, there's no one there to wash your feet when you get there, right? When you get home. This doesn't happen in American culture, right? Now, we get it, when we go to Myanmar, we get a little bit close to it because you're not allowed to wear shoes inside the people's houses over there. Most people aren't. And so you have, to leave, you have to take them off, and people are barefoot inside of homes. That's just the way it is. You don't wear shoes inside of houses. This was very much like the custom of their day but for us it's completely and totally foreign so that's why when you know Andy said there was this he used to belong to the church and every three months they had a foot washing service and I'm not saying that he was sick every quarter uh, on that Sunday but you know he said he, he washed a few really dirty feet you know but but when we do it it's it's not like when they did it when they did it it was something that was going on in their lives every day all the time Every time they went in a house, their feet were washed. And there, there was also another time. We're going to talk about that just for a moment. It was not foreign to them. It was the custom to wash feet. The way Jesus did it, though, and the fact that he did it, that was something they'd never really seen before. We read in Genesis 18. You can go back in the earliest parts of the Bible, and they're doing this. It's a custom. It's a you know, multi-millennium custom. We read about it in Genesis 18. He sees the Lord, right? For him, it's just a man walking down the road. We know it was the Lord now. but And he's trying to be hospitable to the man. And so what does he do? Hey, come, take a rest. Grab some water. Let's get your feet washed. What was he doing? He, it was a common courtesy. It was, it was a, a hospitable thing to do. Come on in. Sit down. You know how we say, come on in and sit down. You know, Come on in. Get some water wash your feet. Imagine living in the time of where you walk everywhere, where uh, everywhere you go, you're, you're, you're not in a car, you're not on a bus, you're not on a plane, you're walking everywhere, miles and miles and miles. It was a very refreshing, very actually necessary thing to do. Genesis 18, we, we read about it, how they did it. It's also right in the next chapter. It's in Genesis 19, when the angels come to get uh, Lot to leave Sodom. What does he invite them to do? He says, come on in. He says, let's get your feet washed. And why don't you go to sleep? All right? So for thousands of years, people in the Middle East have worn sandals. No socks, no shoes. Uh, They they didn't completely cover their foot. The highly ventilated foot layer was was lightweight and practical, but people walked miles every day. Their feet would get dusty and dirty. And when it rained, it would even be worse. It was then... this way, and it still is in some parts of the Middle East and Asia right now. As practical and necessary it was, it gave the opportunity of the host to show kindness and love to their visitors by making sure their feet were washed. But the people that did it were always their servants. Abraham, you may not think of it this way. When you think of the story of Abraham, you think of a guy living in a tent. Uh, He's an old guy, and he's got a tent, and he invites him over. Abraham was super wealthy. Abraham had all kinds of people he had all kinds of servants we we learn about it earlier when he has it, it's a huge operation for everyone to get circumcised This this was not a little thing he, he had all kinds of people and his people his servants would have washed the feet of the visitors that day and Lot the same thing now when Lot offered to wash the feet of the the travelers in Sodom it was a little bit different because he mentions it and he kind of ties it with with going to bed, uh, going to sleep for the night. In the social structure of the day, uh, there were two main times a day that people's feet were washed. They were washed when they came in from the outside and then right before bed, uh, their feet would be washed before they went to bed. Okay, imagine walking around your house and you're barefooted, you know, and there's little dirt and dust in the house maybe, and uh, at the end of the night, your feet are going to be washed. Now. The thing is, is that this could have been uh, and was an affectionate and it was a warm and a tender act of love, actually, because some of you men like, maybe none of you will like this as much as me, but you know who washed the men's feet before they went to bed? Their wives. No servants were allowed to be a part of this. You could be a woman of great wealth, uh, and uh, Marie, you could have like, you know, 50 women servants, you know, and they could all work for you, you know, and, but at this time, it wasn't their job to wash your husband's feet, that was your job, and so that's what they did. The women would wash their husband's faces, and they would wash their feet before bed, and so these were two main times of foot washing that went on. And then I actually wrote a little thing for you, Tim, but I'll take it out. I was imagining you coming home from plowing, you know, and you're tired. You haven't eaten in three days. You know, you haven't slept, and you fall into bed with all your clothes and your shoes on, right? And Christina comes in tenderly and softly, and she takes off your shoes, and she washes your feet. I mean, come on. I'm living vicariously through my own imagination right now. Wouldn't that be nice? You know? Can you feel the love? I like it. And and, and the deal is, is that in the story of Jesus, he's not washing their feet when they came into the upper room. Do you notice that? That's not what he's doing. They didn't come from the dusty city and come in there and get their feet washed by Jesus. That's not what happened. What did he do? When did he wash their feet? Supper was over. The night had worn on. They had been... Uh, talking, and they had been, you know, drinking wine together and eating and spending time together. And it was not until after that, with supper was over. So what Jesus did was even more intimate and more personal. He was doing what a wife would actually do for her husband. Isn't that kind of, isn't that kind of interesting? It is to me. Now, foot washing is a pearls before swine kind of thing, okay? It can be beautiful and intimate and humbling, but could also lead to self. And I can imagine in that day, uh, there were some really not nice men who would come in and demand, you know, that their wives wash their feet, whatever, and their wives didn't like it at all. But it could have also been a lovely thing, too. Now, as we move along, Jesus explains himself. Now, let's keep in mind, it was strange. Everybody say, it was strange for Jesus to do the washing, not just because he was up here, but because he was their Lord. This was really strange, okay? And two, the washing was not being done as they arrived in the upper room. It was after the meal, late in the evening, okay? So let's pick the narrative back up in verse 6 of John 13. So Jesus comes to Simon Peter and says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus, you're not my servant. I'm yours. It's not right. Peter is protesting. Peter was right in that he contradicted the custom of the day. But was he right to contradict Jesus? I don't think so. By all human reason, what Jesus was doing was not right. It was not custom. Don't do this. This is, this is weird. This is uncomfortable. Okay. Jesus said, what I do to you, you don't realize it now, but you're going to understand this later. And Peter said, You're never washing my feet. You know, and and I think it probably was kind of like that. I I think there may have been a a, he may have literally probably, no, this ain't happening. Now I love this about Peter. He was not a shrinking violet, right? If he thought was something was not how it should be, he didn't sit back and think to himself, you know, maybe this, you know, this should be different. No, he was he was like, This isn't right. He jumped up to point out it was wrong. Now I like this because I sort of identify with this personally okay he was assertive um but he was wrong and and you can have this you can be assertive but you can be wrong and, and it's always wrong of course to correct god right we don't that that's bad right later peter the do you remember when saul of tarsus the 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 food is coming down or the animals are coming down in the blanket and he says rise peter kill and eat and what's and what is what does peter say yeah not so Not so. Not so, Lord. Right? So he's quick to say not so, Lord, but you can't say those two things together. Not so, Lord. Right? So we all knew that it was impossible here. Uh, Peter got caught up in what we often do. And this is something that I saw. We get caught up in a good thing, and we miss a better thing. Okay? So... We, we see, you know, God is bringing the, you know, the blanket down with the unclean animals in it. We see that Jesus is doing something that should, should not fit with a, this is not right. He's our master. He's our Lord. He's washing our feet. And we get caught up in a good thing because this was a good custom to, to honor and respect people, right? It was a good thing. It was a good thing for them to want to honor and respect the Lord. But, but the better thing would have been to just obey Him even if it thought it was weird. It's Jesus. He's your master. He's your Lord. He's the Messiah. This is who they think he is. I mean, they're believing it so much, they're arguing about when he comes into his kingdom, who's going to be the most important, right? I think some of you are still distracted with the whole feet thing. Jesus was never wrong. Peter was caught up in a good thing, so he almost missed a better thing. And how many times is this you and me? We want to say things our X, Y, Z a certain way to the harm of something so much better. We want to make sure that our children and our wives obey us and we miss that we're supposed to love them. To be their servants and lay down our lives for them. We get there first and we want to be right about this, but we miss the much better thing last. May it not be so for us today. May we always be ready for the better thing. Amen when God offers it to us and not settle for just a good thing. Now what comes next for Peter shows the strong side of his lightning rod personality. As quick as he was to draw his sword, as quick as he was to say, not so, Lord. He turns around, he repents, he jumps in to the better thing with both feet, literally. Lord, don't just wash part of me. Wash all of me. Which is great. But Jesus lets him know he doesn't need to be washed. He's already clean. This is, this is a very interesting part of the story to me. Jesus said, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Now, if you're reading the story, you might miss this. You may just think he's just saying, oh, it's not. No, Jesus is telling him he's already clean. So he doesn't need to wash all of him. What is he saying here? If you remember, Jesus had said to them earlier, "You are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you." He had told them that they were clean. So he's saying, if you've already had a bath, if you've already been washed by God, you don't need to be washed again. You don't need to get rebaptized, or you don't need to get you know resaved over and over, or re-washed over and over. You're clean okay but he's making the analogy of us like when when we come in that you know and and we've been cleaned up we don't need to be cleaned up again but he says but you do need to have your feet washed and then he says this he says for he knew he he says he was bathed needs not only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you for he knew that one who was betraying him for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So he's talking to them about something different than redemption. He's talking to them something different about, than, than he wasn't trying to picture the washing that comes when Christ forgives us of our sins. He's talking to us about another kind of washing that he's doing. Verse 12, so when he washed their feet, he was taken in garments and reclined at the table again. And he said, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, a slave is not greater than his master. Nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. If you do them. Jesus explained to them, and you can read about this in in, you can read more about this. He explained to them that if he's the Lord, if he's the master, and he's doing this to them, and he's so much better than them, that they should do this to one another. So in their minds, they're trying to understand this. They're trying to figure this out. We were reading it at our table yesterday, Benita, in the book of Ephesians. Paul says that we are to submit ourselves one to another. How? In the fear of the Lord. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. What is he talking about? God is not merely wanting us to be courteous and to be nice to each other, but he's wanting us to treat one another as though there is a disparity not just as equals like I'm going to treat Jeff just as good as I treat myself not that he's wanting us to treat Jeff as if Jeff is my master but Jeff doesn't have to be my master for that to be so what he's wanting to happen here is something that if it happened at your house if it happened in this church and if it happened in the world The world, Andy, would be an entirely different place. Because we don't live like this. As strange as it was for them, for Jesus to wash their feet, what Christ is asking you and me today is even more strange. He was completely destroying class structure in one sense, and in the other sense, he was upholding it. He was saying, yes, you're right. I am your Lord, and I am your Master, and that hasn't changed. But just like he says in Ephesians He's telling the the women, right? Right after he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. He tells the women, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You're to obey them. You're to do all this. You're to honor them. You're to reverence them. And oh yeah, guess what you men are supposed to do? Wash your wives with the water of the word. He's assigning to husbands who are the Lord and masters of their home the place of what? The place of servant. He's saying, yes, you're right. You are the Lord. You are the master. This is God's order. But the way that you are like that has got to come this way. And so he takes off his jacket, his, his outer garment. He gets down on the ground and he washes their feet. And he says, this is how you should be toward each other. I started asking my kids about that. Uh, any, any family would want to be an example. Any family, come on, raise your hand. I know some of you hate when I pick you. You guys want to be an example? I'm be- it's all going to be make believe. Come on, be brave. Ready? Okay, Brownfield. Brownfield. Look, he just went under completely under the pew. Just, just went under. Just dove under. Uh, you're going to be the one. Right Could you imagine if you if you treated? Evie and, and, and you treated Ace and Elias like they were more important than you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine loving them and serving them like they were just, you were, you were their servant and they were your master? Could you just imagine that? Oh, Thomas, he couldn't he, imagine it. Or not, that's not Thomas. I'm sorry. I get, get you guys wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens. When we start to look at our life and how we treat each other and we go, okay. You know, I ask our kids, I said, so, so I asked my, my, my sons and my daughters, hey, do you submit yourself to your brother, or to your sister? Now, as your kids get older, this will become a lot more important of an illustration. You know, Matthew, you submit yourself to Corinne. Corinne, do you submit yourself to Matthew? What, are, what does that even mean? It means that we treat each other with an honor and respect that a servant would treat their master with. What would happen? Steve, what would happen if that happened in your house? How many think all of your dreams might come true as a parent? <laughs> Heath, oh, Heath, Heath just getting the spirit right there in the back of the, the church, right? It's the ones with the older kids that are understanding this a little bit more. As we get older, what happens is everyone wants their way. Everyone, you know, everyone we get, you know, we have like all these adults that live in our house. What if the adults would treat the other adults in our house with the respect they would treat a master as though they were a slave? What would happen? Jesus was saying, "Okay, guys, I'm going to give you the secret to living together in beauty and love." And Jesus actually does for those disciples what a wife was supposed to do for their husband, right? Can you see this reversal role going on here? He was saying, I'm treating, I, I, the husband, right? Christ is the husband of the bride of Christ. These men were part of the body of Christ. And he's literally getting out and he's doing for the wife what the wife's supposed to do for him. Isn't that amazing? Kind of a picture. And they saw it and they saw it and and, and it said you're not gonna understand this till later. And I think they did start to understand it because you'll see this in their writings and their teachings. They begin to see that this is what God has called us to do in our homes, in our churches, in, our, in 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 everything. Imagine if we treated people that way. I mean, maybe you can't, maybe you're not even trying to. I, you know, when I think about it. I just think, you know, I don't think of John Lennon's song, you know, imagine, right? Imagine. His imagination's ridiculous. It's ugly. Imagine, you know, there's no God. Oh, that'd be great, you know. Imagine, blah. no, imagine. Imagine what it would be if people loved each other. Not just, okay, we, we love this love part, right? What if people submitted to each other? What if they were kind to each other? What if they really treated those that they were better than or greater than or positioned higher than? You know, what if Luke treated Laura that way? What if Tim treated Christina that way? What if, what if Pastor Mark treated his wife that way? What would happen? It would be amazing. It Absolutely. And you go, well, we do that. I, I don't think we do. I don't. I get it in my head and I try this or that, but I'm telling you, It's this is a strange what Jesus is teaching is as strange to me as it would be if I visited your house and you washed my feet. I think we need to explore it a little. I think we need to try it out. How many people would be willing to try this out at home? Would you guys be willing to try this at home? Isn't this what called application of scripture is all about? What if we tried it at home? What do you think would happen in your homes? I can tell you, God's Word is here for us to emulate. This example that Jesus made, He didn't want us to miss it. He put it right smack dab as the very last thing He did. He didn't want them to miss it. Don't be like them and miss it. Don't just hear it as another Bible story. 1 Timothy, when it's giving the imperative on, to care for widows, and it defines what they are, what is one of the main definers of who they are? This is going to be the tale, the tale of the tape here. This woman, you're going to care for this woman if, right? First Timothy 5, honor widows that are widows indeed, but if any widows have children or nephews, let those children and nephews take care of them, right? He's kind of saying there are certain women to take care of them, and certain women not, right? They've got widow, they, got, they have children, they have nephews. Uh, let, let, their, let their family take care of them first, okay? Let, let them take care of their own parents. It's good and acceptable for God. Now now she that is a widow indeed, one that's desolate, she doesn't have any family, she's trusting in God. She's continuing in prayers night and day. He goes down in verse nine. Let the widow be taken in the number under three scores years of old, 60 years old, having been the wife of a man well reported of for her good works. If she has brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. What does that mean? Do you think that means she came in people's houses and washed their feet? I don't think so. I think that that Paul is referring to Timothy, this teaching. Here she is. She's an older woman. She's, you know, respected. She's older. She's someone's grandma, she, right? And here she's going to come, and she's going to be servant in the midst of the congregation. Has she washed the saints' feet? I don't know if I did a great job today of helping you to see how important this is but I pray at the very least that you'd try it out. Come on, raise your hands if you're going to try it out this week. Maybe, talk about it. Maybe, maybe get the picture out, you know. My kids remember we used to, on the week of Passover, each week I used to wash the kids' feet. Tim, Tim, I washed yours in my house, I remember. That's Tim, do you know how long ago that's been? That's been like 12, 10, 12 years ago. Our kids never forgot that. Our kids never forgot me washing their feet. Might be something to do. Might be something to do in your house. I don't know. But as big as a memory as that thing was that we did, what would happen if we really did the thing that Jesus was teaching and not just the picture of it? That's what I got for you today. Let's pray. Lord, I know that if we were going to just compare ourselves, we are certainly a congregation that loves each other and we're kind to each other. Lord, I think we could be so much more. Lord, I know I have desired to serve you, but when I read this story, I wonder if if I have followed this example like I could. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give me opportunity to love and to serve others in this way, oh God. That you would give the husbands in this room, the wives in this room. What if we loved our children like that? What if we treated them with respect? Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be that city set on a hill and... Lord, let it not just be because we relieve the poor or because we have compassion on others in their time of need. But may it be our daily life. Just like like foot washing was. It was a twice daily and, and more. May it be a daily. May it be a regular. May it be our default. May we see ourselves as the towel wearing servants, oh God. who love and respect those, even those that we are over and have been given authority over. May we be gentle and loving and kind and have the hearts of servants. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said amen.